It's time to clip your last good piece and dig in because the runout starts now. Today's show is brought to you by Outdoor Research. The idea for what became Outdoor Research was likely conceived of by unkempt mountaineers in a stinky, damp, uncomfortable snow cave in the Alaska Range. But since those days of yore, OR has become an apparel company also dedicated to breezier, sunnier, more, shall we say, aromatic outdoor pursuits like spending a fun day at the crag. With that in mind, the runout invites you to check out OR's cragging collection. Shorts, pants, hoodies, jackets, and more for movement and protection on the rock when the day might involve some gobies and a bit of rain and snow, but is more likely to end up around a campfire or at a local watering hole than over a sputtering stove in a whiteout. So find everything you need for a day at the crag or that soul-scrubbing alpine route at OutdoorResearch.com or use their handy shop locator to find your local retailer. Outdoor Research is a proud sponsor of The Runout. Three major climbing areas are in the climbing news right now due to access issues. The common thread between these areas is how the proverbial man is coming down on us, imposing his late-stage tyranny on our freewheeling spirits. The BLM is making noises about moving forward with plans that would help cement popular vote loser Donald Trump's illegal reduction of bear's ears, which has the access fund sounding the alarm. The park service that manages the Grampians in Australia has effectively shut down more than half of the climbing justifying their actions with a nefarious propaganda war that has blamed climbers for things they did not do. And a gang of 18 climbers chopped a bunch of roots in 10 sleep to make a stupid point. These actions ultimately and predictably got new root development shut down in 10 sleep for the foreseeable future. This is Andrew Bisharat. In this episode, Chris Kalus and I talk about some of these issues and try to parse out what it means for climbing going forward. Before unleashing this episode, I think it's probably wise and prudent to state my opinion about chipping, which I believe that Chris also shares, before we get slandered for being chipping apologists on the internet. To be totally clear, we do not support chipping at all, especially the kind of chipping that Louis Anderson appears to have been doing in 10 Sleep. The photos I've seen of his chipped holds are totally fucked. They're unacceptable and out of line with any normal climbing ethic anywhere else in the world that I've seen. By the way, if there are kids in your car, we curse on the show. Louis' brand of chipping is the archetype most climbers imagine when they rail against chipped holds. Ugly drilled jugs and otherwise blank rock to make roots easier than they would have been otherwise. But this brand of chipping is also the exception. Many climbing areas have chipped holds, but very few have chipped holds like this. In this episode, Chris and I speak about chipping with a bit of nuance that we realize later might get lost on some of our audience. To be clear, the kind of chipping that we're referencing is the kind that actually exists on gray, nuanced, ethical spectrum. It is only acceptable insofar as most climbers will happily climb these chipped roots and rave about them, without even realizing that they are indeed grabbing modified holds. The case of Louis Anderson is clear-cut. He's a terrible root developer making horrible roots, and his brand of chipping shouldn't be tolerated anywhere. But if you find yourself taking a hardline stance on chipping, you should also realize that it's complicated. I can almost guarantee you that many of you have fallen in love with roots that have chipped holds, modified holds, holds that have been glued on, or holds that have been altered or removed. With that said, here's our latest episode. 
Thanks for all the great feedback. We love hearing from you. You can email us at Chris or Andrew at runoutpodcast.com. And we appreciate you leaving reviews of the show on iTunes or whatever. Welcome back, Chris. Hey, great to be back, Andrew. <laughs> How's your trip? It was good. It was sort of a relationship maintenance trip mm. to uh, to Squamish. Yeah, you know, we went up there to hang out without uh, without Miles, without the boy mm-hmm. who went to his grandma's house, and was the first week we'd had together without him since he was born three and a half years ago. So, yeah, so we uh, you know we went up there, we slept in late a lot, you know, climbed a fair amount actually. Had dinner out most nights. So was that, your, that was your first trip to Squamish, huh? Yeah, I'd yeah. never been there before. So, yeah. and you um, think? it was cool. I mean, I, the climbing is amazing. The access is amazing. Uh, we, I made some a little complaint on a post that I made. I don't think it got people's hackles up as much as they sounded confused about what I was talking about. That it was really loud there. Mm. Actually, once you're there and you see that it's right there above a four lane highway, like the Chief is, and some of the sport climbing areas and stuff. And then you see the town that's literally building. I mean, you could honestly see like 10 giant condo developments being built at, at like simultaneously in town. And apparently it's some of the hottest real estate in Canada, actually, which makes sense. It's not that far from Vancouver. It's in between Vancouver and Whistler. You know, they they built this big highway because of the Olympics, apparently, and that like changed everything right. for the whole town. So we were just kind of shocked, and we made the mistake of going to this roadside sport climbing area, Mirren, Mirren yeah. Park, I think it's called, um, and just like marching up to a wall that faces the highway, and basically kind of like lost our minds as these You're trucks like- were top. It's on a hill, and like the trucks topping the hill were just. You know, in the parlance of Canada, just giving her, and then <laughs> they'd like top over the hill, and then they'd have to throw the gear brake on on the other side. So it was, it was like astoundingly loud, and that was our first taste, like VRG loud or loud. No, it was louder. Wow. Oh, for sure, because you're way closer to the highway yeah. than VRG, and even up on the Chief, like you know, they were building a bridge, hmm. a new bridge, and so like big machines are like pounding the earth. And uh, grinding up rocks and anyway, so, but, uh, you know, a pretty minor complaint over the whole trip. It was just a surprise that this place in Canada, I mean, you know, we're from the States, like you automatically think you're just going to be in the middle of nowhere in Canada, but it's very urban. Yeah. I was surprised the first time I went to Squamish too. Just, I I had no idea that the chief was roadside. Yeah. It's a roadside crack. Um, Because all the photos I'd seen of it made it look like this wooded, you know, big uh deciduous forest you know paradise but well it's it's that too it's that too but it's know? also right by the road yeah because yeah. like when we hiked off the backside it is so you're yeah. in this gorgeous forest of gigantic cedars right. and uh yeah and it's quiet because you're you're not next to the road but the climbing itself is is pretty loud yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so clean that shit up up there, Squamish. <laughs> like, get those condos built, and then just like chill a little bit. And here we are about to talk about tiny bits of rock being removed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're, we're kind of do a little roundup. Um, I think on some access issues today uh, around the world, actually. Um, some pretty heavy stuff going down 
um, even almost on the exact opposite side of the world from us. Yeah, the man, the man is coming down on climbing right now. Yeah, for sure. And in some and, ways, I was, I, I think it, you know, we've been lamenting a little bit. I think, at least personally, we've all been lamenting the popularity of climbing. Um, the industry isn't lamenting it, of course, but. And thank you to our sponsor. Yeah, thank you to our sponsor, Outdoor Research. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, but I mean, it, it, we have been. We, we, you know, everybody's got stories about their favorite cliff. You know, seeing more visitation, going there on a weekday when it used to be dead, and it's 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 jamming. And so I think, in some ways, like this is a culmination of that, mm-hmm. where um, our impacts are, are are becoming significant. Um, and yet, some of this stuff's personal too. So, um, where do you want to start, Andrew? Well, before we get into the access issues, you were just talking about crag popularity, and I, one of the funny things about Rifle, which is our home crag here in Colorado, is uh, we've we've enjoyed like this spate of natural disasters that have kind of kept the crowds away. <laughs> I don't know. This last weekend, they were they were jamming despite the one way road. There's been yeah a road collapsed on the way to the crag. There's been mudslides. There's been. All kinds of like floods. a serious trees falling over in one storm that blocking the road in several places. I mean, it's been straight up lovely out there on the weekends. There's been virtually <laughs> no one. And um, the uh, one of my friends here who's on the Rifle Climbers Coalition, he's, he's been talking about trying to Photoshop the date on some of these natural disaster articles to just repost them. Yeah, whenever. like the onion. Just, yeah. <laughs> just redate them and post re-date them again next year. Redate them and post them up on the Rifle Climbers page. So. Yeah. Beware if you if you see a post on the rifle climbers page stating a natural disaster, it may or may not be true. Well, I went over there uh, two days ago, and we got to the where the roads caved in, and it's been a one way. Yeah. And over the weekend, they had a stoplight, so you, you know one of those automatic stoplights. Um, and we we rolled up, and the dude walks up, this the flagger walks up, and he's like. We just started a 45-minute wait five minutes ago. Yeah. And I was like, we only had a couple hours. And I was like, forget it. We're, we turned around. So. Oh, really? You went back home? Yeah, because I couldn't. I needed to get home to get miles at a certain time. Right. So, so I couldn't you be like. hit the 45 on the way there and the way back. On yeah. the way back, I couldn't say, okay, 3 o'clock is time to leave. And then right. I, I hit a 45. Uh, yeah. So we, we would have been stuck up there. So we were on a tight schedule. Yeah. We just happened to be on a tight schedule. So we left. Yeah, it's really bad out in Rifle this year. Yeah, you shouldn't heinous. come out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Ruckman Cave just has fallen into a like some sort of vortex. There's just a black hole. It's like a puddle, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it actually is a puddle in there. There is. Anyway, what were we actually going to talk about? So, Where do you want to start? What what part of the world? Well, I guess the, the headline in our... An ongoing story in Australia, which is, I think, the most major one, which is huge swath of climbing in the Grampians has been shut down by the park service there. And the, and and we also just saw some stories this week about, um, the bears ears management plan being updated, uh, to not include recreation for five years. And then there's this ongoing issue with 10 sleep, which is sort of, uh, a local ethical, whether or not to chip a root chopping root, you know, climber skirmish that resulted in a, a complete shutdown of all new route development by the Forest Service. So that's the big headline. Um, they're all like somewhat similar stories of of climbing just being managed and shut down by government. 
the man. The man. The man has come in yeah. in all these situations to uh, to regulate what what we love to do. So the Australia things like it sounds kind of fucked because the the park service came in and just randomly kind of closed down all this climbing. And there were some they seemed to be if uh, the climbers down there were caught flat footed because they didn't have an access fund organization equivalent to deal with this. There's a lot of misinformation, disinformation being put out there by the park service about climbers, you know, destroying these cultural sites, which are completely unfounded. And they were using these lies basically as justification to, to shut down climbing. And, um, that's been going on since February. You know, the takeaway there is just the importance of having an organization that can deal with these things and get in front of them from the get-go. Like as individual climbers, you, you know, it, it you really can't do much about it against the government. But uh, an, an entity like the Access Fund, who, you know, are co-signers or, or whatever happens, I, I don't know the exact term, but on s- some of these lawsuits over Bears Ears, you know, they're a legal entity, the funds to to go to bat, employing lawyers and and uh, I think it, I think it's super important. And in talking to kind of some of the earlier access fund people, it's always been a little bit of of a problem to sort of pry money out of climbers and to convince them that this like organization kind of entity is a good thing because climbers, you know, traditionally were were go it alone kind of lone wolf type people, counterculture people, and everything else. But right now, I think it's pretty common if you're a climber to, to be part of the access fund and. Um, you know, it's been reaping rewards all over the country, having this really strong entity taking care of us as as our sport, sport is getting more popular. I think the other thing that seems to be a really frustrating aspect of the story is that, from my perspective, climbers are some of the most respectful people around when it comes to, you know, knowing not to, like, fuck with rock art or, um, you know, bolt in places where there's, like, uh, ruins or something like that. Um, and we've, a lot of that has just come through self-regulation hasn't been a government thing, but the, the takeaway too, I think is just this realization that there can be, you know, a bad faith bureaucrat in one of these, in, in the government who just singles out our sport as being something that they don't like. And they don't need a real good reason to just shut the shit down. And it seems to be that that's what's happened in Australia. I don't really know, but I think we need to talk to more people down there. But it certainly seems to be the case that they're just like, fuck climbing. Let's shut this down. And what do you do with that? I mean, like you need, obviously you need like an access fund equivalent. But beyond that, I mean, what else is there other than just uh, a sense of just this is our public land. We get to have a say here too. We're going to keep climbing here. Like that type of like kind of public rebellion. Yeah. And I wonder if, uh, climbing has the kind of profile it seems to have gained in the last decade here in the United States. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, we're a user group that has numbers and has, has some sort of organization behind it. Um, not just the access fund, but but local entities like that, and also you know we're we're seen as a user group that's got a voice and has enough people involved. And I'm guessing that's not the case as much in Australia, um, in terms of the legacy of climbing there and 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 what people 
kind of put out there to the public. You know, one of the things about having sort of that organization that numbers is that, you know, these entities or these these bad faith actors within within a, a management organization like a park service or something like that, you know, they can't just like arbitrarily start up something like this without having like a, a enormous backlash. And uh, maybe they felt like in the in the Grampians that they could pull it off and you know, there was really nothing anybody could do about it. Well, it's. An, I think it's important for them down there to put their foot down and figure out an effective strategy because it's not going to just stop with however many crags they've shut down. Like they're right. going to go, they're going to continue to shut stuff down if they don't figure out a solution. I'm, I'm uh, starting to work on a story about wingsuit base jumping for another thing I'm writing. Uh huh. And part of the story that I'm writing is about the access issues that they've experienced in Chamonix, where they shut wingsuiting down in Chamonix after like a wingsuiter crashed into a building in town. And they're just like, fuck this, like completely. We've had enough. We've had enough. It's banned. But it was at the time, it was like, this is a six month ban. We're going to, it'll be six months and we'll figure out like how to manage the sport so that people aren't crashing into buildings in town. And, um, and then it'll be open again. It's three years later and it's still, it's still banned and they haven't exactly come to a solution. And part of it is that wingsuiting is also a small niche sport, like climbing, much smaller actually, and much more niche than climbing. They don't have an access fund equivalent. And a lot, from what I understand from my reporting, a lot of the wingsuiters just, they needed like a an official organization just to represent their community, talk to the mayor, talk to the, uh, you know, the people in the government there and, and articulate like this is how we're going to manage ourselves this is why you should trust us to manage ourselves and this is why we can continue to do what we do safely it's it's also an example of when something gets banned it's actually probably going to be shut down for a lot longer than you think right right which is i think really a relevant point for this 10 sleep example where we now have the forest service stepping in and shutting down new route development in 10 sleep I don't think that this is going to be a, a quick fix and, and that new routing is going to start up there anytime soon. No, no. The Forest Service doesn't move fast on anything. But, but the, also that, yeah, it's also maybe that they have the, or along the lines, they'll have the intent to keep it shut down. Exactly. And um, the longer it stays shut down, the less incentive it'll, there will be to open it up. Right. Which is too bad because it sounds like there's a lot of rock there that could have three to twice or three times as many routes as there already are that's a painful one because that's unlike australia that's a really a self-inflicted wound on our sport i think unlike uh in australia there's you know the parks victoria came down on climbers sort of out of the blue with this hammer to shut this shut our sport down intensely it was really this uh a skirmish between two factions over how roots should be developed and that turned into a a thing that the government couldn't ignore and they just you know took everyone's fun away for some reason i think we feel still after living with it for as long as we have um and getting burned by it over and over again is is social media is completely public and you're not just talking to your friends and you're not just talking to to like-minded people. And so when this thing that went on intensely blew up on, on the internet, uh, we noted it in an episode. 
guess what? So did the Forest Service, which is actually something I predicted in that episode yeah. was going to happen. Um, and so the Forest Service sees it all too. And, you know, they see squabbling. They, you know, they may never even have known cl how climbers develop a, a cliff. And all of a sudden they're getting reports of chipping and drilling and, you know, which is destroying the rock. And they, and, you know, which they don't need to know about. They don't need to know about. They don't need to know about. The dr uh, drilling of bolts. And right. I mean, because to play devil's advocate, it is literally their job to protect that resource. Right. And so you force their hand. You know, they 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 kind of have. Well, you it, make it sound like a problem. Right. When, there's, when it's like right. this isn't your problem yeah. to deal with. But it but it becomes their. I mean, their obligation. Right. I mean, what happened in Ten Sleep was literally what their job is, right. is to go, wait, 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 you're doing what to what on our land? So we don't let anybody else do that kind of stuff. Like, what, what's going on here? What do you think? I mean, the solution is that climbers need to figure how, out how to deal with these issues so that it doesn't reach that point. Right. Internally. Right. I mean, what do you think is the answer to that? Because the case here is interesting because there's a, a bad actor there's this guy who's chipping roots and doing a really bad job of putting up roots, but he's also free and entitled as entitled and free to put up roots as anyone. There's no like law or certificate or license or anything that you need to obtain in order to give you access to developing roots. So what do you do with someone who's so motivated to put up horrible roots? What do you do? That's a good question. <laughs> It's like you can't just drag them off and throw them in the river. You know, maybe that is the the best solution, actually. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, like, what what do you do? You, you, there's no law that he's breaking. There's no, you know, there's no protocol that, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's obviously breaking an ethic and climbing, but he's mostly just putting up roots that no one likes and they're bad, shitty roots. And so what do you do with a guy like that? How do you, like, take his drill away? How do you make him stop doing that and this guy's been doing this for like 30 years so like what what's what's the solution i don't know well i think that's what those guys probably ran up against yeah it's like can we publicly shame him right they went that route right which, which didn't work well i did it or didn't it i mean i i thought that he had agreed to it didn't work in up. that now all root development is shut down right or it led to this point right but it sounds like well, but did but did the did the public shaming lead to this or did the did the um the night attack which is you know <laughs> when you start thinking about it is fucking hilarious like there someone needs to make the movie of this for like they're all like meeting in somebody's garage and like you know everybody like some guys show up in camo other dudes are just like in their shorts and they're like bro did you bring your headlamp oh fuck i forgot my headlamp like and and somebody's passing out these these padlocks and shit and like, like do you someone that? had to go buy the padlocks and then put them out on a big sheet of newspaper in their driveway and like spray paint them because they're all red. Do you remember like so many hilarious yeah. things like must have led to this like okay you're going and there's someone directing it like you know Bobby and Jimmy you guys are going to this Craig you got it yes sir stat we're out of here you know like and like jeeps all scatter from some somebody's driveway like. Do you remember that show from the 80s, uh, A Current Affair, where it was like yeah. recreations of climb or crimes? Right, that, right, that right. right. Yeah, yeah, it's like... It's we need to do a recreation. Right yeah. We need to do a... Yeah, it's a dramatization. That's <laughs> dramatization, what we need. yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> we need to do a dramatization of the tent sleep incident. <laughs> Kids, what are you guys doing out there? <laughs> nothing, mom. Nothing. Just go back to bed. <laughs> okay. You have fun. Are you carrying padlocks? No. No, mom. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, this is, must have been a, a, an interesting night. The joke's on us, right? Because, yeah. you know, I think climbers need a civil way to discuss these issues without scurrying ourselves. Right. And making it a big public thing. I don't know if we need more regulation or better leaders in communities. Maybe that's the answer. There needs to be people who are making decisions on behalf of communities. I, I don't know. But the the idea that anyone can just call someone out for root development that they don't like, garner like hundreds of people's signatures and petitions online, you know, get it published in all the national media and then go and like just fuck their roots up and make it like seem like this big thing is just that's not the right way to handle this. Right. Are we talking about a trend here or is this is this an isolated incident? Because I mean, if you think about the actors involved on both sides, you've got sort of this guy who's who's chronically been involved in this kind of stuff for years. You've got these quote unquote locals, you know, uh notoriously sort of uh what's the word I'm loose cannons. You know what I mean? So it, it, it may have just been a perfect storm where mm -hmm. these types of things are dealt with under the radar mm -hmm. elsewhere. Well, I think it sets a precedent that other people can look to look to when they have issues like this. Which is future. ironic because the whole destruction of the roots was about how they were worried that those roots had set this precedent of how to do things. Right. And uh and were examples to a younger generation. And yet I think ironically that Which you know, is bullshit, I think. Yeah, I think so too. But you know, ironically that they, they may have just set this precedent of of like taking it all into your own hands and, and right. the destruction of roots because there's a lot of lore around chopping and around, you know, removing roots in climbing there's there's this lore but it actually is pretty rare right and and we can point to some like pretty specific incidences that you know are are years and years even decades apart where you know roots were actually destroyed and uh so i mean it's not like well, a normal thing to have this so yeah i don't know where we go from here i don't have the answers to these questions but um i do know that bringing the government into to regulate doesn't seem to be a good idea and never 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 is it a good idea yeah we don't want to give I, I the mean, government I, the power to to make these decisions for yeah. us on who who can and can't develop roots how roots can be developed that's not a good future for climbing i mean we we've got a local area that's got some access problems because some cavers blew the whistle like it had been a long-standing caving area and some cavers got super pissed and uh because there were bolts going in around these caves they went and 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 you know basically cried to cried to the teacher aka the forest service and guess what the road that everybody had used to get down there to the caving and now the climbing for years was always illegal the forest service always turned their back on it and guess what? Nobody gets to drive down there anymore. Fucking they close the fucking ro road. And yeah. It's just like the cavers didn't 
the cavers don't get to drive down there and the climbers don't get to drive down there and it was just like you guys shut the fuck up and yeah. don't you got nothing out of out of crying to the teacher nothing yeah. it's yeah. the same old story you know yeah so i wrote this article on my site about 10 sleep and the, on your uh, online journal on my online journal <laughs> evening sense <laughs> yeah it's the it's not the, a blog it's the alpinist of wordpress sites yeah it's not a blog <laughs> it's, a, it's an online journal um and the 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 takeaway for me was this idea that it's not about ethics it's about aesthetics it's like do you can you make a route that lends itself to the facade that it could have appeared in nature right so all of the ethical or unethical techniques can be on your in your toolkit but can you create something that people just love and think and don't know that rock had to be removed or glued or filed down or whatever it is right and and your 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 argument is that is the that's the gold standard that's what that's the gold standard right it's not an ethical standard because all the ethical standards don't scale from one type of crag to another. Right. And they don't, they fall apart and they're, they're used by people who don't know what they're doing to, to take other people down. Right. And so it's the, the ethics, the whole ethics debate, I think is a farce. And it's it is, more it's an aesthetics debate. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you just start telling people about things that are chipped and, you know, it's like, there, there's the whole L cap. Like oh, all those roots are chipped because they were beat out. But but the the nose as a free root was flat out intentionally chipped chipped yeah to climb not not like oh we put in pitons over and over again now there's a finger lock there no Ray Jardine went up there to he wanted to chip the entire nose and this is in 1978 or 79 I don't know when he did it it was but that's his era um, he wanted the whole nose to be about five ten. Yeah. He wanted it, he was like a, a kind of like the climber socialist. He wanted it to be for the people. <laughs> and now the 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 current way to free climb the nose goes across the chip traverse that he put in um before he kind of like either lost his his mojo or or got run out of doing it. But so Imagine there you go. putting him five ten holds all the way up the nose. I mean I'd climb it. <laughs> Just how much so work would you, that would be. So would you, listener. So would you. <laughs> But I mean, this is there. You go. It's like the most one of the most iconic routes, yeah. in the world. Well, people don't even yeah. know what chip holds are. I no, mean, like don't. I was, cl- I climbed uh, this route in rifle that I used as a warm up the other day, and it's like chipped holds are on the route. Yeah, you know, and I didn't even notice it myself until I was like actually thinking about this stuff and looking at them. Sure, it's just like yeah, it's and you grabbed them like how many times? Thousands of times. Yeah. Can I play devil's advocate a little bit? Um, of some, I mean, we're talking about chipping rock, which is a very specific thing to climbing. We're the only ones who kind of know about it. We're, and, and I think we're the only ones who have this ethical problem with it, um, you know, because it's like the park service will be more than happy to like, you know, take an entire wall down to put a road in or to mm-hmm. have a hiking path or whatever. So. I really think it's an esoteric thing to climbing, but bolting isn't. Mm. And the devil's advocate thing, it, it, it is a little bit shocking sometimes when you sit back and you and you do really consider the proliferation of bolts. Mm-hmm. 
and you know it's also something that's kind of gathered steam and you know if you are a land manager and you can walk by something that doesn't have a single bolt in it one day and literally like three months later there's i mean if there's 20 roots there there's 300 400 bolts sticking out of this wall that you formerly saw but you so, so can't see them i mean you really can't like i mean really well you have to have I mean, let me oh. let me just back up here because that that was one of the main reasons that there was a moratorium on bolting in the flat irons. Right. Okay. Is that hikers and people just using it as a natural area were like, "What the fuck is all this stuff up mm-hmm. here?" And yeah, you can't hardly see them, but I think it is an intrusion mm-hmm. in a sense of a, and and plus, I mean, the bolts are there, then the chalk is there then everything underneath the cliff is trampled to death. Like, it's a big impact. Okay, so this brings us to our third access issue okay. point of the episode, which is the uh, Indian Creek Bears Ears issue. How does it bring us there? Okay, let me <laughs> sit back, Chris, and let me okay, explain to you my thought process. <laughs> the uh, the idea that only our, our own in, endemic, like, sport, you know, travesty on nature is okay or not okay is precisely why, you know, a climber looks at a crag and sees bolts and it looks beautiful. Whereas a hiker might look at that crag and see bolts and they might think that it's in travesty. Whereas climbers might look at a trail for an OHV, you know, vehicle and just say, this doesn't need to be here. Like this is ruining my experience, but not have a problem with their, you know, their, their hike to their, to the base of the route. Right. Or they'll, they'll four wheel drive in their Tacoma yeah, to get up that, that road to get closer to the crag. But if someone's there cruising along on their four wheeler, that's somehow not the right thing to do. So what's the deal with going on with the bears ears? Um, I, I mean, other than the fact that, that it was reduced 85%, from what Obama designated. Right. Which is, um, isn't new. That's like, yeah, that's, that's the old news. And I reading the dispatches, they just put forth a management plan. They being the BLM and it's a little confusing, but reading the dispatches that I, I still feel like that's the central issue. And one of the issues is that they're putting forth these management plans while this, um, these court cases are still in flux about suing the Trump administration over their unlawful reduction, mm-hmm. according to the plaintiffs, with the Antiquities Act and with with the designation of the monument. So, but right. nevertheless, th- those are all ongoing, and it, it, there's this feeling that these management plans are being rushed so as to codify this reduction. So, right, right. kind of like your ban that never, your temporary ban that never gets lifted. Kind of strangely, though, and this has always been a little bit of an underlying issue with this monument thing, is that what you just said about climbers want to do what they want to do, and they want to put bolts in, and you know we want to camp where we want to camp, and all those things really are what we want. And the the monument thing was always a little bit 
I mean, I, I know that the it's axis, a tenuous thing because it was a tenuous you can't thing. bolt. You can't. Right. Yeah. Well, the, you, you can't use power drills right. in monuments. You and, can't, there's there's restrictions on climbing right. the, in, in other monuments. And the whole reason the Access Fund got on board with it was because we got climbing into the management plan. Right. And so it was going to be written in there that climbing was allowed because a lot of times they, they don't allow it anymore. Right. And so, you know, if, if it had gone the other way, I mean, in a in the alternate universe where they didn't put climbing into it for all we know that the access fund in that alternate universe is fighting against the monument mm -hmm. and frankly you know we, i just read an article in the the salt lake tribune and they talked about how this management plan kind of actually opens things like doing whatever the hell you want and camping wherever the hell you want and putting up roots wherever the hell you want. It's, it's unregulated yeah which in terms of what we actually like to do the actual activities we're into when we're in indian creek Truthfully, like free for all is better, right? You know, or for, more for, more historically, the right. way it's been done there. Yeah, and 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 frankly, having been on the Friends of Indian Creek, you you throw a tiny regulation onto climbers, and they actually normally get super pissed off. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's you can't camp here anymore, or you have to pay for camping because you know the toilets need to be flushed and and nobody's paying for that all those sorts of things get a big pushback from climbers so it was a lot of the access funds i think um uh like pr campaign that got climbers on board with this whole monument thing to begin with and and not all of them are actually yeah because a lot of people like the status quo in indian creek and they're they're afraid that if it becomes a monument you know there are going to be all these rules about camping and about what right. you can do on the walls and right now, frankly, you know, the status quo is is probably what in our heart of hearts we actually like. Right. The problem is, is that the preservation of this resource is in, in question. And if we're all adults about it, we realize when we're down there that it can't just go on as a free for all forever. Yeah. And I guess to tie in the two issues, it's like the you can't have the Australian motto or plan of just having no plan and having no organization working on your behalf because the government could just come in and decide that no climbing in Indian Creek, like this is forbidden. And that would be, you know, a travesty and you have to be prepared for that. And then, you know, the, the free for all thing, it's, it's also like you have to have the personal responsibility to not make problems and issues where they don't need to be in the first place right to give people a reason to shut shit down and right. so it's like those two worlds are really the it's really what this episode's all about yeah i mean and it's it, there it's really hard to answer the, that middle ground right I mean, it, it really is because it's a tenuous middle ground yeah and, and again the popularity of climbing is is pushing these resources i mean indian creek is a really good example it's like it pushes it to the limits mm -hmm. when when you're there and it mm -hmm. and it's and not only is it pushing it to the limits of sort of the damage on the ecology but also for the experience mm -hmm. you know it's like it's it's a shit show down there on a lot of weekends in the season yeah. you know and your your climbing experience you expect it out in the desert you know this solid you know you you just got done reading at abbey and you're like i'm going to indian creek for my desert solitaire well fucking jokes on you bro like right. it's a roadside crag and everybody and their brother wants to do the same route you want to do so yeah. you know it it it's it's troubling i guess parting thoughts is i don't want to be like a baby boomer just you know 
and says, you know, I'm just going to enjoy this shit while it lasts and fuck the future. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I, you I, know that that is what the monument was about. Yeah. In Bears Ears was like, OK, we will accept a little bit. We will accept this because of that. Like, we know this can't last. And, if, mm-hmm. and again, if you go there on the right day, you're like, this can't last. Yeah. But I also don't know what the future steps are. And what the right solution is and where that middle ground is that makes everyone happy. Stop climbing incredible hand crack. If you've done it <laughs> once, that's enough. It's enough. <laughs> Don't go do it again. Just climb it once, lower off. I think that the just, that's it. I think that the solution is just gonna be lowering crowds at crags through propaganda of natural disasters on roadways. On roadways, yeah. yeah. The, <laughs> it's the rifle model. The rifle model. <laughs> But yeah, so basically, like, don't tell the man, but also, I mean, don't be an asshole at the crack. Pick up after yourself. Yeah. If it's super crowded, go somewhere else. Be the person that walks away to reduce the crowd by one. And fucking solve your problems like adults. Totally. Word. <laughs> I didn't record any of that. <laughs> Are you ready to get started? <laughs> that, that, was was warm, that was background warm up. <laughs> if you have a comment, topic suggestion, or just a good bit of climbing trivia, join us at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash runoutpodcast. Or drop us a line at our webpage, runoutpodcast.com.